Hi, welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews. I'm Dan. And I'm Jenny. And we watched... Amelie. What kind of list is this movie on, Jenny? Oh, uh, it's on the top 100 movies bucket list. Uh, as rated by IMDb fans. It's outdated a little bit. I think this movie is still on there, but... Yeah. Just your general... IMDb viewer. Yeah, you and I could go out there and we could give this movie a one each. And maybe if we get enough of our friends to give it a one, it's out of the top 100. Yeah. I wonder if IMDb has anything like bots to track a, a brigade like that, you know? to Oh, like if it turns out... Like with Kevin Spacey, how he had relations with younger boys. Yeah, and then people just sweep through and give baby driver like a three or whatever which is not deserved for baby driver it's a good movie it is a very good movie my dad didn't like it though did i don't think why? my mom did either why i don't know just nah well i don't i didn't like whiplash that much yeah and the more we talked about it i kind of lowered my opinion too maybe so. they don't maybe they really dislike kevin spacey they just don't want to have to explain that to me. But is offset with the undeniable charisma of John Hamm. Who plays the kid? Who's the kid? Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. Who was that one actor? That's not helpful. It was in Lady Bird. It was one of the guys that she fell in love with. And you're like, oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, the kid from Manchester by the Sea... He's in both of those. Not, nope. Oh, Timothy Chalamet. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that was Timothy Chalamet that you're thinking of. He's going to be in Dune. Yeah, I'm excited for Dune. Maybe I'll learn his name then. Like Paul Bettany. I didn't know his name until he was Ultron. Same with, um, well, uh, James Spader was Ultron. Paul Bettany was Vision. Bada bing. Robots in Marvel. Uh, there's, who's that actor? Doc? Dom Hall Gleason. Yes, I feel like I finally learned his name. Yeah, it's solidified now. Ha ha ha. Uh, plays Weasley, who we just talked about extensively on our Harry Potter uh, B-plots. Yep, he is Percy. Yeah, so if you're looking for some magical uh, critique, go take a look at the Harry Potter B-plots, part one and part two. Uploaded three and two weeks ago, respectively. Um, but, as we've discussed, we didn't watch any of that. We watched Amelie. Jenny, what are your sweeping opinions about Amelie before we get into the plot? Are we doing it this way? No, we don't have to. Let's get into the plot. Oh god, I don't know now. Oh boy. Uh, so, opens up uh, Amelie being born in the 70s and brought up by uh, eccentric parents who believe that she has a heart defect. And thus keep her out of school. This opening montage is basically explaining why Amelie is a strange person with a very active imagination. is because she was really isolated as a kid. Um, as the opening montage progresses, we see Amelie's mom get killed by a suicide from a woman jumping off of the Notre Dame and landing on top of her. Which kind of establishes, like, 
when you hear about this movie, you'll hear it's a very whimsical, fun movie, and it is. But there's also some really dark stuff, really weird stuff in it. It's a bizarre flick. Yeah, definitely uh, aggressively French. <laughs> yes. I am a fan of the narrator throughout the movie. I just like that approach because you'll often hear narration in the movie, but rarely is it so much and so critical. Like this movie is basically told by the narrator and we get to watch the characters kind of move around in the narration itself. You know, it's it's hard to explain, but it's unique and enjoyable. Um, as Amelie grows up with a single father, her single father becomes very much a recluse and Amelie eventually leaves home at the age of 18, becoming a waitress. Uh, she is a waitress at a cafe of two windmills, it's called in English, and it's got a French name that I cannot say. Café de Du Moulin. In Montmartre, or Montmartre? Montmartre? I don't know about that. Yeah. We see her enjoying the little things because they she's tried relationships and she had such a bizarre upbringing or is so emotionally closed off, kind of, that she doesn't have much success in relationships, so she makes her own enjoyment. Like burying her hands in seeds and cracking open creme brulees and things like that. And guessing how many people are having sex mm. in the city at the Orgasms. moment. Orgasms. Orgasms. Uh, in, in uh, what's a, simultaneously, <laughs> which is Amelie a god. <laughs> She's sitting on the roof looking around, sensing orgasms to a great degree of accuracy. That would be the worst superpower. What do you do with that information? <laughs> do you think you would be able to zero, down, zero in on the identities of these people? We did get to see their faces. That's true. So you could either sense your enemy in their moment of vulnerability or blackmail. Some uses for power right there. I guess it would be a good power if you had a timeout when you're going to ask a favor. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like how judges give lighter sentences after they've been fed. Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Makes sense, though. I'm ready to hand out death sentences if I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe as it gets later on in the day, they're also affected by uh, decision fatigue. So you got to hit that really sweet spot after lunch. Otherwise, you're boned. A judge with decision fatigue at like 4.30 p.m.? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, just 20 years. <laughs> They're only human. Cabbage has discovered our new recording setup. We didn't really get into that at all. I think he just uh, might have, um, <laughs> might have uh, spiked the mic with his cheek. We get some cabbage sniffs on record here. <laughs> he smells like tuna. Off he goes. Startled to, our old boy. To harass Pugsley. Pugsley couldn't hop up here, even if he tried. No. He can barely make it on the bed in one leap. He could give it a try, but he might tip it over and cause quite the ruckus. He'd probably put 
more gouges in the vinyl top. Yeah. Ah, but the rat. (laughs) The rat is here. He's never this way when we're recording normally. Yeah, we normally record in the evening time, but right now it's mid-afternoon, early afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, we're cutting it close with this uh, schedule. (laughs) Um, We don't really have a reason why we're cutting it so close. Just one of those things. Yeah, just we're busy every other night and busy, quote busy. unquote. Well, we have been burning through scrubs. Yeah. Oh man, we should always do a B plot on scrubs with all the time we've been dedicated to it. Yeah, really step on Zach Braff's and Donald Faison's toes with their yeah, fake doctors' big, real yeah. friends. <laughs> I think uh, Cabbage is having a trip to the loo. Yeah. Shall we? <laughs> Whatever you want. I also really like how the narrator has insight into people's likes and dislikes. I think that might be one of my favorite little treats of the movie. Yeah, I wish they kept up with that. Yeah, every time you meet someone. But there aren't that many new characters at the end. That's true. It is a, It is one of those things that just feels so whimsical and sweet mm-hmm. about it. Get to hear what makes people happy. Yes. And the real... Driving force in this movie was when Amelie learned that Di- Princess Di had passed away in that car accident, and she she's holding some. Do you think that's getting picked up? Oh yes, I do. <laughs> Are we keeping this in? That's our cat aggressively scratching at his litter box. So he is making. Everybody poops. <laughs> That'd be a fun superpower. How many people are pooping simultaneously right now? <laughs> yeah. Just. <laughs> That'd be haunting information. Would you be able to localize it? Or is it just one I imagine in the same way. Yep. If you were evil, you could make sure that you schedule home break-ins when people are pooping. Yeah. Would you... Uh, <laughs> so, you're pooping. Someone's breaking into your home. Are you just going to lean over and lock the door, or are you going to try to wrap up to kick them out? I'm going to lock the door. Yeah. Is that you too? Oh, yeah. I'm going to lock the door and call 911, but... If I wasn't pooping mm-hmm. and someone broke in I would lock myself in a room I'm not going out there to fight somebody you should try to leave if you can uh, that's probably wise because you don't know what they're in there for maybe they're in there to kill you god now they got you cornered <laughs> you gotta get out well we do have uh, points of egress in our windows so yep every window <clears throat> I learned that on our house hunt, kind of off topic, but we're on a house hunt, and a bedroom only counts as a bedroom if you have a point of egress. Cabbage has left the room and he has made a scent. He's done buried. I guess he buried it to his satisfaction, but not enough. Let's power through. Okay, this is great. This is our best episode yet. Stay strong. Oh, God. So Princess dies, passed away, and Amelie is holding a perfume bottle, and she drops the lid of it, and it knocks off a small tile in the wall. And behind that wall, 
is a small metal box full of children's toys. And as described by the narrator, Amelie has decided she will reunite the little boy who played with these toys, and if that man is happy, she will become a do-gooder, and if he is not happy, she'll, I don't know, break into people's homes while they're pooping. Yeah, she says, I forget her phrase, but she says, if it does not make him happy, then that's too bad. So basically, I'll either be a great person or I won't do anything. It's a weird ultimatum to demand. And also up to this point, like we get more substantial introductions to other characters uh, later on, and they become more prominent to the plot later on. But we've gotten to meet a lot of side characters, and all the introductions of these side characters I think are very interesting or fun. Like We get to see her briefly spy on her neighbor prior to meeting him, uh, full force, where he's sitting there painting, and he's a very mysterious hermit type. We get to see a um, fruit seller and his assistant, and we also get to meet her co-workers at the cafe in this first section. And like I said, it does get more in-depth later on, but the the scenes where you meet these people, they just establish what kind of person they are so efficiently. Like, one of Amelie's co-workers is a hypochondriac, and she's so silly with this hypochondria and over-the-top, but in a very entertaining-to-watch way. Uh, it all kind of feeds into this sense of familiarity that the movie has with everybody, and it feels like a very friendly environment, except for the fruit seller. He's a dick. Coligno. Coligno, yes. Yeah, I don't know. In any case, uh, she goes. She, being Emily, goes about searching for the owner of this toy box by trying to find who was uh, prior tenants. Obviously, it's an uphill battle, um, and in this search, she ends up meeting her neighbor, uh, the painter that I just mentioned, named Raymond Duyafel. She also meets. She meets with the landlady who reads her letters from her deceased husband who left her to go to South America with some other woman. Yeah. A lot of more sadness, kind of, yeah. mixed in with the, the friendliness, I guess. It's bittersweet. Or melancholy? Melancholy. Melancholy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bittersweet movie, I guess, uh, at times. Um, he, she learns from Raymond that uh, the prior tenant was this person named Brett Tudo, and she was on a false lead earlier in Having No Luck with Bredotto, and as she's coming back frustrated and not finding these people, because there's there's a sequence where she finds three Bredotos, and none of them match up, and she meets some weird characters around um, Paris. Does this movie take place in Paris? Or? Yep, it's in Paris. Okay. Um, she meets some weird characters, comes back defeated, thinks it's hopeless, and then this is when the neighbor calls her in and says, you have the wrong name. You're looking for Brett Todo. You want Brett Oto. And then they chat. And he explains how he's painting the same painting every year, can never capture the visage of a, a woman in the painting, and sends her off with 
a more accurate name. She ends up finding Retodo and gives him the box anonymously by calling a telephone box. So this movie could never take place today. No, this is a key plot point around the telephone box. What is the etiquette for telephone boxes? I don't know. It's ringing and this guy's like, I'll answer it and see what they want. <laughs> Which is a good thing, because um, if I were walking by a telephone and it mm-hmm. started ringing, I'm not answering that. Do you think anybody has ever baked cookies that used yeast in the dough? Yes. Do you think they're good? Um, maybe. Just, you know, bread to dough. Just made me think about it. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> like cookies, you know? Got the wrong, got the wrong bread. It's Brett. Alright, I'll see myself out. <laughs> that was good. Uh, she calls the telephone box. The intended target enters and <laughs> finds his little time capsule. And this is, in my opinion, one of the high points of the movie. Yeah, we see his hot aunt. No, what? Yeah, we do. It all comes back in a flash. Aunt Lillian. The tragic oh. day he won all the marbles. Oh, Yes. The flashback to all of his childhood memories and everything. Yeah. <laughs> his hot end. What is the French bicycle race? The Tour de France. Wow. <laughs> it's almost it's almost called French bicycle race, and I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't think of it. <laughs> Are you thinking of bikey bikey France France? <laughs> <laughs> Had, um, he's moved to tears, and I don't know when when an emotional burst is portrayed well, oh, it, it gets me all the time in movies. And this guy has been trying to hold it back, and he can't, and he sobs and goes to a bar where he happens to sit next to Amelie. Not any bar. He goes to Cafe du Cafe de du Moulin. Cafe du Moulin. The two. The, oh. I always just thought it was a random bar because it's got the the guy in the bar says he makes a snide joke because the guy says, "Oh, I just uh, saw a ghost or something, or had this uh, time capsule delivered to me like by my guardian angel," and the bartender says, "Oh, I have my guardian angel right here," and he gets some drink from behind the bar, and at that point the guy turns to Amelie and he says what's your name do you have kids strikes up a conversation and we learn that not only was this time capsule hyper effective at bringing back memories for the man but it urged him to reconnect with his estranged daughter who he kind of um, let fall cracks and uh, disowned or whatever the story is but he wants to make amends and Amelie is very happy for the success of this effort. Yeah. So, mission successful. After this, she has a new lease on helping people. And she ends up... Uh, there's this blind man you see a couple times that she gets changed to. Maybe it's not a couple times. But 
The blind man who sits playing a record box in the train station, she escorts him, quickly telling him about, oh, meat's on sale. Do you smell those melon slices? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a really sweet scene. Probably really threw the guy for a loop, but <laughs> there. <laughs> the after the tour, you see him glowing, like a weird visual effect from the movie. So I think it's supposed to showcase that that was awesome. Yeah, it is one of those scenes that's very sweet. And as I watch it, and as it went on, it's like, oh, nice, nice. Wait, how far? She gotta take him. Oh my god. <laughs> He's gonna be totally lost. Into the Ren. Yeah. That's in Germany. The Seine. Oh, a river? Is that a river? I think so. More, more info than I have. Yep. S E I N E. Oh, the cool. The Seine. The the Rhine is in Germany. Okay, same page. Good info. Yeah, you know, there's rivers all over the world. But only that one is in France. Paris, in France. Paris. All right. After this, she goes to meet with her father, and she steals his garden gnome, and she gets her flight attendant friend to take pictures of him all around the world. So she's really just... Freaking out her dad by stealing his stuff and then teasing him with it. She also does something that I don't think is a do-gooder thing, but she gets Georgette, the hypochondriac, and Joseph, who has been stalking his ex, Gina, that also works at the bar, she gets them to fall in love, quote-unquote, they have sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Joseph has been established to be creepy, stalker, abusive, and um, basically a horrible dude. And Amelie's like, ah, he just needs love. And I will use Georgette to get that love to him. Um, Not good. Yeah, I... I guess it makes him happy for a few moments, but we see him become equally stalker. And abusive towards Georgette shortly after. Ban him. Yeah, ban him from the bar. How much is he spending? It must be a lot if he goes there every day and sits around. That's a crappy owner that's just not protecting her waitresses. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. She also does a crazy thing where she cuts up a bunch of letters that she saw from her landlady... She photocopies them. She doesn't just cut up the letters, but she... You know how kidnappers will use magazine clippings? <laughs> she does that with a bunch of words from him, and then she prints it out and stains it. Or she forges it. No, no, no. Yeah, she... she it's a printout. Facts, like, scans it in, and whenever I... I always thought, like, you would see the subtle lines. You would. But I guess that dunking it in tea or coffee or whatever she did would make those harder to decipher. Yeah, she also ages it, and then she uses the backdrop of a news story she saw where a mailbox was found in Iceland or something. 
and the letter got stuck up there and her deceased, the landlady's deceased husband writes about how he was wrong. He still loves her. He's saving up for a house. Mm-hmm. Which is also messed up. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of messed up behavior in, a, in the pursuit of love. Tons of mental manipulation. Yeah, speaking of which, she actually gaslights Koming Yong by breaking and entering. Well, he, she has a key, so it's just entering. <laughs> My bad. And messes with all his stuff. She puts salt in his whiskey, cognac, I don't know, port. Yeah, <laughs> they love port. Some kind there. of brown alcohol. She gets. She buys the exact same slippers he has in a size smaller. She puts a pin in his outlet so it'll spark when he plugs it in. She switches the handle on his bathroom door and she... This one's maybe the most messed up. She changes the speed dial from his mom to a psychiatric facility. Yeah, it's fucked. She also uh, makes him put foot cream in his mouth Mm. and sets his clocks back so he wakes up at like 3 a.m. to open up his fruit stand when he shouldn't until later in the day. Yeah. To really capitalize on all this stuff. And this isn't her just being randomly mean. It is too far. Oh, yeah. And everything. But we do see multiple scenes of him abusing his assistant. Lucian. Hmm. Who is missing an arm? Yeah, he's missing an arm. And uh, he's... Well, maybe he doesn't miss it. <laughs> He, he has one arm. He has one arm. And the result of having one arm means that he stocks things slower. He's also shown to be very careful and caring of the produce that customers purchase. And he gets berated for that as well. Basically, he's a very kind dude and he goes slow. And the owner hates him for it. And apparently mentally anguishing him. And exhausting him is enough to prevent him from being abusive. So it's like, problem solved. (laughs) I guess. I do really like Lucian. Another fantastic scene in this movie that feels... It's a scene that doesn't do anything for the plot, but is just really warm and fuzzy. Where Lucian visits the artist, and he has a tray that's his order. And the artist is like, I didn't order any of this. And then Lucian starts like... He had a hollowed out uh, disinfectant container or something and he lifts it up and there's a bottle of champagne under it or port <laughs> and you know other stuff like oh the the vegetable is hollowed out or a ruse to show you bread and butter and like all this nice Boy stuff. Rah. Yeah and they're like having a good time and um, joking about it and they seem to be pretty good friends or acquaintances so it's, it's just nice. A lot of this movie is nice. Yeah well foie gras is messed up. Yeah, that's that's an abusive animal product. But we we have had it. That's true. We are hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. we have it again. Uh, I, if it was, I wouldn't specifically purchase it. But if it was included in something, I wouldn't be like, leave it off. Right, you know. like with the cheese tray from uh, picking a fur coat. That's also where we had foie gras for the first time. Yeah, they like it over there. Mm-hmm. Fucking bougie. It is bougie. It's nice though. Mm-hmm. Not even hungry, I want it. <laughs> Not foie gras specifically. But. Picking up 
fur coat. Fuck up those ducks. <laughs> Give me more gras now. So the glass man has been watching Amelie doing her deeds. <laughs> we did not cover why he is called the glass man. He's got brittle bone disease. <laughs> yes. He is a self-described glass man. That's not us. <laughs> Making fun of brittle bone disease. No, uh, Mr. Dufail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, French movie pronunciations, French pronunciations, not just movie. It's hard. French is hard. Yeah. Accents are hard. All I can, I can say boat real good. Boat? Boat. Like a mid, uh, is that a Midwest boat? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Or a sorry. Oh. Oh. Why a visa? Why? I'm just gonna squeeze right past ya. Uh huh. Kind of funny looking. Oh, just kind of funny looking. And those are accents I can do really well. That reminds me that Fargo should be on this list, but it is not. Another snubbed movie. Another injustice. That's in North Dakota. Yes. But they use Minnesota. Um, Stereotypical accents. That one. Maybe that's North Dakota as well, but. North Dakota. I just connected with Minnesota. I think the TV show takes place in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yes. Why are you saying these things so weird? <laughs> just a little Fargo tangent. Just, uh. Back at it. Um, <laughs> so that's. That's me apologizing for all these pronunciation butcherings. Yeah, I am also Without. just saying it as it is on the page. <laughs> Mr. Duffelbag. It's <laughs> my understanding. He talks about his Renoir painting, and he can never quite capture the look of the girl with the glass. And Amelie suggests that it's maybe she's thinking of somewhere far away from here. And she's not with these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dufael is the real matchmaker because he talks about, oh, she's lonely, she needs love. How about uh, she's thinking about another cute boy who is also maybe a little isolated? Uh, meaning Nino, who is um, a man we see collecting little scraps of photo booths from underneath and we didn't talk about this yet but he he lost one of his bags chasing a guy and Amelie gets the bag and in the bag is a photo album of a bunch of reconstructed pictures mostly from photo booths yeah and we also get to see multiple times earlier Amelie runs into this guy at train stations and whatnot and she seems kind of curious about him because he's just down on his hands and knees with a ruler scraping garbage out from underneath photo booths and it is definitely in line with the movie's philosophy of people find enjoyment in anything and yeah you know everyone has little quirks and all that so you'd be hard pressed to find a photo booth today this movie another relic Mm -hmm. that could not be yeah no recreation i wonder I wonder what kind of limitations there are out there for movies like this for remakes. 
Because the context of it today would be... I mean, you couldn't do a one-for-one. Right. I bet they would just keep photo booths, you know. Because it is a relic, and a lot of people would probably be like, what the hell is the deal with that? Or phone booths as well. Maybe he steals phones and goes onto the Instagram page, sends one to himself, (laughs) prints that out, leaves the phone somewhere the original owner would find it. The fact that you're probably spot on that a remake would use Instagram in some way just kind of makes me roll my eyes at the concept of this non-existent (laughs) remake. (laughs) There would be a horror movie, though, which we do see. A lot of people use social media for horror movies. Yeah. There's been some good ones. The only, well, actually, the only one I can think of is Host. I guess, yeah, but that's Zoom. That's not... Yeah. Is Zoom social media? Uh, no. There's one starring, I think, Stephen Yun that I've heard really good things about, but it's in that same format where it takes place on the point of view of a computer. Yes, I think I know what you're talking about. Forget the title though, but it's supposed to be a pretty good thriller. There's another one where they have to do dares from social media. Truth or dare? Truthy, truthy, dare, dare. <laughs> <laughs> That's the superior version. The French always do. <laughs> anyway, Amelie realizes she's falling in love with Nino and she wants to co-mingle with him, but she can't be straightforward about it because she has emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no joke, huh? Never thought about it in those terms, but it was a really rough childhood. Like, just straight up seeing your mom Yeah. Die. Oh my god, I wonder what her ACE score is. What's an ACE score? The ACE score is for childhood trauma, so it's questions like, did your uh, did any of your parents take uh, drugs did you ever see your parents fight? Um, did you have divorced parents? Stuff like that. Oh, okay. I don't think... Did you see your mom get crushed to death by a suicide victim is on yeah. there? But I imagine that's an automatic two. Yeah. It's like, did you witness your parents' death? What? How, whoa. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> okay. You have childhood PTSD. It's a given. No getting around that. Okay. So she sets up a bunch of arrows in some park. It's probably a famous park. If we knew more about Paris, I bet we could name it. Mm-hmm. But she does the classic photo uh, photo booth. She does a classic telephone booth thing, like follow the arrows secretly, and then he goes all the way up to the top. She has hired some man to dress like a statue to point at a viewfinder, and when he looks down at the viewfinder. Uh-huh. <laughs> I jumped in here and say it's more likely that she found a living statue no. and asked him to There's do no this. way. There's no way to guarantee either one of our narratives are true. That's fair. I'll back off on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He looks in the viewfinder, I don't know, telescope thing, and sees her putting the book in his bag. Bada bing. And then she calls him again. Oh, she references the time she tried to find him at the fun house and he played a skeleton in a horror ride. Yeah, which was a strange scene. Yeah. He also works, (laughs) 
he also works for uh, uh, a nudie something. Yeah, like a sex shop. of. Yeah, sex shop. Sexy, sexy shop shop. <laughs> How many times am I going to forget words in this podcast? <laughs> and she calls there and he's like, do you have fur? Fur pie doesn't sell. Yeah. And she thinks, oh, he's trash. Yeah. Because he has to do what he has to do for cash. And when she goes to the nudie parlor, the woman's like, oh, yeah, he, he's played Santa. He's found cans at the bottom of garbage bags. He'll do anything for money. Mm-hmm. Right now he's working at the fun house. This rekindles her feelings for Nino, because he's not just some pervert. Mm-hmm. And then the cat and mouse game. Yes. And she puts a photo of herself in a Zorro mask and her tummy and asks, do you want to meet? Mm-hmm. And basically, there's there's a lot of interim scenes where we see Nino trying to find her and she's just going about trying to find him and we get some downtime at the cafe and all that. It eventually culminates where Nino comes to the cafe. Mm-hmm. And Amelie gets cold feet and gets nervous and doesn't want to meet him directly. So she kind of says, no, that's not me. I'm not the Zorro person. And goes off. Meanwhile, her friend that works at the cafe, who is named Gina, kind of takes Nino out to talk about Amelie. Because she cares about Amelie, wants her to be happy. Joseph, the previously mentioned pervert, puts the bug in her ear that Gina has run off with uh, Nino and taken her man, which Amelie believes for some reason. Kind of an annoying uh, inconvenience. But um, the moment of, you know, oh, how could my friend betray me comes into the movie here. But she eventually realizes, uh, after speaking with Dufayel, the artist, that, you know, if she likes him, pursue him what why would you not she does and it results in a happy meeting and the end of the movie is her uh, <laughs> getting stooped getting stooped no uh, they ride off on a, a vesper <laughs> a little, little uh little scooter and it's a very nice ending they kind of see them laughing and kissing each other's cheeks and they both seem very happy to be together at last and the movie ends with uh, her having found a, a, a happy moment for herself. She created her own uh, lost and found box time capsule thing. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. nice. Very, yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, I like its whimsy. First time I saw this movie was on, I think, like an indie channel. So I saw it around when it came out in 2001. So I was pretty young to be watching this movie. Uh, (laughs) um, Watching it again now. Uh, I've seen it since then. um, I think in high school or college. First time I saw it was you and I watching it in college. um, In your dorm room. Ah, Yeah, it's just nice. It's... uh, I like the fantastical elements in it. I tend to really like that in a movie when they add um, a bit of magical realism, I think is how it's called. Yes. So I'm I'm a sucker for that. It's also really snappy, what with the 
narrator kind of moving things along really quick and the dialogue is sharp and fast it's kind of it kind of feels like a movie like um steve jobs you know uh or social network Mm -hmm. where the dialogue is like "Ooh, these people are on top of it but if you took those and made them nice and warm and fuzzy it's kind of like that so it's also short it's only like an hour and 40 minutes or so so it's a pretty uh, small investment time-wise. I, I'd just say 100% if you kind of want something that's uh, friendly and... Like a happy movie. Yeah. It's a very happy, feel-good movie. Yeah. And I, I don't like the manufactured tension that they put in What with, like, Gina stole my man. Oh, yeah. But a lot of this stuff um, where it talks about sadness or loneliness uh, really just serves to kind of enhance the the overall warmth you know it's it's a friendly friendly movie that uh kind of couldn't exist the happiness without the sadness and so on Ooh, melancholy yes yeah it's good yeah i also like amelie's apartment quite a bit yeah it's a nice apartment all the apartments are super nice Mm -hmm. but the kitchens are small we're house hunting (laughs) yeah the the movie also is a very to your to your point of magical realism, the colors and things oh yeah are unnatural. There's like an orange uh, glow about everything, and sometimes there's in the subway a very green look to it. Oh, it's aggressively green, and green's a happy color, so that makes sense. Yeah, and it all contributes to this emotion that you feel throughout the movie. So it's well well color graded, I guess. Or it actually looks very fake. But I, you know, yeah. I would say this movie's color balance is not good, but it works. Yeah, it's it's not, um, it, it's fake, but that's fine with the context. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen Penelope? No. So that's also a magical realism one. It's actually about a girl who has a pig nose. Okay. That one's good, too, and I think that's also another magical realism one. But that that's neither here nor there. Because uh, that's not in the top 100, and frankly, it's a bad movie. <laughs> There is a movie, these, the directors of these movies, they were a married, they are a married couple. They also directed Ruby Sparks, which I know you're a fan of. Yes, another magical realism one with Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan. That one's excellent. Cool. I don't know if I would call it snubbed. Um, what do you think makes this movie worthy of being in the top 100? I think it's unique in its themes. I, I don't know, like... It's, it's a romance movie, but it goes about it in a bizarre way. Yeah, okay. In a fresh way. And I think it's just shot pretty well, and uh, for its purposes, it's well acted. I don't know if I would call the performances incredible, but I believe that these are real people throughout. I, the man of the phone booth was a very good actor, that's for certain. Yes. I think one difficulty I have with foreign film movies is because I am reading it, the tone is harder to process. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, if somebody's like, I am angry, you know, you can tell that, yeah. but you can't tell the nuance of acting as well. But if people are acting with their faces, it's easy to tell. Yeah. So that's good. Good actors are good actors in any language, but great actors? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I can't tell. 
what are what are some of your things out? That, that's a good question. We should start asking that question at the end of everything instead of what do you like and dislike? Why do you think this deserves to be in top 100 or not? Mm. That's a great question. So why do you? I think it's a great break from reality. And you really get in the mind of this woman who is looking for love. And I think anybody who's ever been lonely can connect with that. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm not lonely anymore, baby. Oh, me neither, baby. <laughs> Cabbage is lonely, though. I can hear him screaming. Yeah, he's in there screaming. Uh, <laughs> do you want to put some numbers on this thing? Yeah. All right. I'm one, two, three, score. Eight. Oh, damn. Uh, I was going to say eight, too. You were gonna, I thought yeah. you were messing with me. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> confirming. Uh, I, I don't know why I wouldn't say nine, but eight. It's not ten. Well, not nine. Eight is good. Eight so is good. It's very good. I wish I could see this movie made again. You know, with I, I don't know what I would do to make it better. I don't know. I just want to see this times two. You know what I mean? I yeah. want this movie's essence captured, put in a box, distilled, poured into another movie. Yeah, that's right. It's very similar to feelings about like Scott Pilgrim, for example. There yeah. aren't other movies like it, and that kind of sucks. I want more yeah. movies like it. I don't want them to remake it. I just want them to recapture it. Which is for sure a good thing about the movie. It's yes. like, ah. So bad things, I think, this is probably nitpicky because it does look good, mm -hmm. but I mean, you and I have been watching Scrubs. Yes. And when you watch Scrubs, there's, the video quality is what it is. It's not great. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be awesome to see a movie like this in super clean, like high definition, you know, same colors and everything, but just really crisp. And I don't think we'll ever get that. It kind of has the quality of early 2000s TV and video, you know? Yeah. Before they really figured out HD. I forget what episode you taught me about this, but why things filmed on... Oh, yeah. So physical film can be restored in a way that digital film cannot. That's pretty much it. So the reason that remastered movies from like the 70s can look high def is because they can get in there they can get up in them guts but for digital uh the pixels you have are the pixels you have pretty mm -hmm. much cool cool yeah well great movie eight out of ten yeah i'm all ye. super nice um yeah thanks for listening uh if you have ever thought i'd like to visit france and be french and be in love you should check this movie out agreed all right. Uh, do you want to sing us? One, sing us out. One other point. Um, street cats. I've never seen a street cat in Madison, but there were street cats in Paris. And I think that's probably my biggest driving force to check out Paris. <laughs> I want to meet some feral cats. They will bite your fingers off. <laughs> They're not friends. Okay. What do you mean? <laughs> All right. That's my real last closing thought. Right. Now, do you want to sing us out? Do you want to sing us out? You haven't sung us out before. Uh... <laughs> Is that once upon a train? Oh, it's like French accordion. Oh. <laughs>